Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You're listening to highlights from the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. To hear the full show, download the podcast from iTunes or see 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. <sighs> Friday. Nice to see you, my old friend. Good morning, 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Your email, opinion at 96fm.ie. The Twitter is at OpinionLine96 with the hashtag OL96. And of course, as we tell you every day, you can always message us through Facebook, the Cork's 96fm Facebook page, and address your message for the attention of the opinion. I'm going to start this morning very briefly with a statement that's been issued by the Education and Training board uh, on behalf of a school uh, Skull Clina in Carrick Tool. Cork Education Training Board has been informed of a confirmed case of COVID-19 in the school. The school has at all times followed and implemented all Department of Education and Skills and HSE guidelines. The HSE is now managing this process and the school is working with the HSE and following all of their advice. It kind of draws us back to a conversation we had on the programme yesterday with the Irish Primary Principals Association. But they want a dedicated team within HSE and within public health that any time there's a case confirmed in a school, that the principal just has to ring a number and it's taken over. They said, right, we'll take it from here. Rather than the principal hasn't having to liaise hither and hither with the, the, the authorities, that just the school would have a dedicated number that it could call and that would be answered and so on. That's okay. We'll take it from here. That seems to be a good way to go. And as more and more schools have confirmed cases and more and more schools will have confirmed cases, there's a great uh, argument to be made for that. Good morning. Friday. That sunrise was very late this morning. I actually even caught it myself coming in along the quays. Beautiful September sunrise. Maybe later in the morning we might take a look at whether the weather is going to make this dramatic improvement that we think it might uh, for one last lash of summer to be great if it did. But first of all, a lot of nervous people this morning. Again, just like there was on Monday. A lot of nervous people, nervous students, nervous parents, nervous families, you name it, they're nervous. Two o'clock today is when the CAO points will be published. The first round offers will go out electronically at two o'clock this afternoon. And everyone is saying that because of the way the calculated grades worked out, that the points are likely to go up virtually across the board, which of course is making people nervous because they got a set of points on Monday that they were delighted with and now they don't actually know whether those points will be enough to get them the course that they want. They were looking, of course, at last year's points and said, well, I've got, oh, that's great, I've got my course based on last year's figures, but no one really knows what the CAO will do 
with the points. Jess Casey is the Irish Examiner's education reporter. Jess, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How that, are you? That is very well, thank you. That That is a very big unknown, isn't it? That people were calculating based on last year's points that they got their courses. But they don't really know until the computer spews out what it spews out this afternoon. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I mean, it's it's a big day. It's um, a nervous, uh, a lot of students are very nervous today. Um, basically, because of the uh, inflation that we saw under um, calculated grades, there is a, 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 there is an, a bit of, um, there is an increase uh, expected when it comes to, to the points, but the full extent of which we don't really know yet because there are so many different factors every year that influence the CAO process. Yeah. What, um, what kind so, of variables do they take into account every year? So it, it depends on, on how popular the course is with students and then what marks those students got, essentially. But there's so many different variables, like in any given year. Um, I think one of the statistics I have off the top of my head is that there was 25% of courses went up 20 points or down 20 points. That's just kind of a rough estimate, and that was from last year. And, I mean, you can see, like, it, it, there's trends kind of in, in what um, what what chosen careers are popular with students essentially mm-hmm. um, so I mean something as simple as the pandemic might have an effect on it because yeah. maybe more students want to get into medicine or they're interested in public health now or, or science or things like that um, there's always the popular courses every year, things like teaching um, and, and maybe more more students will want to get into teaching this year because of the, yeah. the um, experience that they had during the yeah. pandemic you, you just don't know Are um, there enough places for the applicants that want them across the board well i mean i think it's i think it's fair to say that every year there are people who are disappointed that they miss out on their first choice we we all know people in our own lives um and just every year there there is students this year it, it probably will be a little bit more acute just because um i suppose the people who will be disappointed probably are already disappointed with the calculated grades that they received and maybe would have based their CAO choices in and around the, the marks that they thought that they were going to get, mm. if, if that makes sense. And now they're doubly disappointed because they're hearing about all this great inflation. They're saying, well, my marks didn't go up like I thought they would, mm. and I'm going to miss out on, on the, the courses that I have on my, my that I put into the CAO. Um, I think as well, it's fair to, to point out that there's a significant number of students from last year who are applying. Yeah. Um, that means that they're presenting results that they did in 2019 and would have based their CAO um, choices in and around the courses. So, I mean, it's fair to say that if you, let's say, you set a good leaving cert and you got maybe five, 500 points, which in any any year is very, you know, impressive marks to have gotten. Mm. But if you based your... Um, if you based your CAO around that, um, and let's say that the last choice that you had was 470, and grade inflation uh, affects you the way that you know people are talking about, people are speculating, then there is a possibility you might be left without a course yeah. or without an offer today, which is, is a devastating position to be in, I, I suppose. Yeah. So, um, so much of it left to chance. Is, is there any way to, yeah. to leave less of it to chance, Jess? This year, I don't Any think, year, because it always seems to be we'd throw the results into the computer and see what the computer throws out. Yeah, I mean, it is, uh, from my own uh, perspective, it is sort of a cruel system that there are people disappointed every year. I, I'm not sure. Maybe there is a better way of doing mm. it. Um, yeah. I, I know that they would say that this is the best way to, yeah. to do it. Yeah. 
So who will be happy today? Who will be unhappy today? Have you, or, or because of the such it being such a different year, is it impossible to tell? I think it's slightly impossible to tell at this point. I mean, the the students, there there was a record number of the higher grades given out um, on Monday. So the students who, who, who got those marks, safe to say if they're going for the higher point, point courses, they, they might be happy, you know. Mm. Disappointed, I would say we're going to see a lot of people from, from presenting results from 2019 who are possibly disappointed. Um, and then also just just students who who miss out really, um, which is it's it's devastating I think. But the, I think that it's important to point out as well that there's always a way into your chosen career, and that yes. this isn't the only way to go. You know. Yeah, you've actually written an excellent explainer in today's examiner going through in detail the questions that will come up for people. It heartily recommended. It says assessing your CEO options and the next step steps to take. Like for, for example, the simple things like can I defer what happy happens if I if I'm not happy, what else mm. do I do? If I appeal a grade and it's successful, will I get like this all and, and that's a an extremely good article. What kind of things are you addressing with people? The one the particular question what questions come up every year um i think the appeals process is the thing to keep in mind this year and i think it's it's really important that students keep it in their head that if they appeal a mark it isn't actually it is only um looking at for administrative errors if that makes sense so just if their information was inputted correctly and downloaded correctly now like mistakes can and they do happen so if you notice if on Monday when the appeals process begins you can log in online um, you'll be able to see the school estimate as well as the calculated grade that you received if there's a vast discrepancy there consider appealing it just because the Department of Education says that only a small number of grades um, it, it brought down let's say I think it was 0.1% or something like that. So if you do see a discre- discrepancy, consider appealing it. Um, and the department is saying that they're trying their best to, to have the appeals process done in time so you'd be able to accept um, an offer of, of college for this year. Okay. Simon Harris, the new Minister for Higher Education, made big play during the week of putting something like a thousand new places into the system. Will it make any realistic difference? It's. It's. I think it's closer to 2,000. Is it really? um, yeah. Yeah, so I think there was 800 this week and then 1,200, I'm not sure if it was last week or the week before, but there's about 2,000 new places. It will, I suppose, we don't know the exact breakdown or where, how many um, how many places are being created at which courses and which courses are the most popular with students because all of those factors will come in. Yeah. It really, It really is, and I know that there's probably loads of students listening to this who are don't want to hear this, but it is a case of wait and see until two today. Unfortunately, like, yeah. Yeah, that is that is how it is. All right, Jess, thanks very much, Jess Casey, the Irish Examiner Education Reporter. At uh, the stuff will come out at two o'clock today. The offers will be released at two o'clock today. Only then will you be able to see points and stuff like that. And uh, they, they do reckon that the points will go up for all the really popular courses. But two o'clock today is when the. Uh, the cookie will crumble as as it is. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. The opinion line on Courts ninety six FM with the indoor self service laundrette now at the Junction Vickers Road. Every day washing and drying done within an hour. Self service laundry. Ie. 
This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now 083 396 9696 on Cork's 96FM. When all the talk of calculated grades started a few months ago and we looked at how it might be done and what kind of a model they'd apply and who you'd be, whose information you'd be taking and where you'd be putting that information and what to do with the information to get to a final result, we were kind of saying, wait for the lawsuits. The solicitors will be rubbing their hands in glee when all of this happens. I don't think so, David Brown. Do, do, do you from BDM Boiling? Good morning, David. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Rubbing your hands in glee at the prospect of a floodgate opening? No, there'll be floodgates coming in, but they won't all get to the finish line by by any means. Um, I, I, I suppose that they've mended their hands a good deal, and they've they've the Department of Education here has avoided the worst mistakes made in the UK by the so-called uh, algorithm. Uh, now, our our standardisation process is, is is a bit complex, about two hundred and fifty pages long. I won't bore you with that, um, but there are a lot of checks and balances, and uh, you you it, it could be challenging. There'll be winners and losers. Uh, some people will definitely lose out because uh, that they had worked hard, got good grades, teachers backed them, and because of a blind process, um, statistically, they'll decide, well, because there weren't such grades last year in your area or, or, or in those schools or whatever, you're being, down, you're, you're being downgraded. And that's heartbreaking for, 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 for young people. Um, it would sound but, fundamentally unfair, David. Uh, oh, oh, it is. And ironically, we thought, first of all, when it came in, um, the idea was they looked at your school and uh, I know how many H1s they produced the previous year. And if you if you went to a, um, a well-funded, well-resourced school with lots of H1s, you'd benefit. And the, 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 the genius who went to a, a disadvantaged school that never had a H1 before lost out. Yeah. Now, they corrected that. And the talk is that it seems to go the other way. Most of the complaints we seem to be from the grind schools and the private schools where they said, um, you know, we, we, we've got very good grades, but because nationally there shouldn't be so many H1s, you, you can't go and say, um, the whole thing must be fair and transparent. Yeah. So you want the information, why was I downgraded? That, that, that's fundamental. And uh, if there's an error in that, yes, off you go to the High Court and you get it put right. Um, um, 250 pages of, I, I presume, small type in the standardization process, I, I presume if we've had a good peruse over it, is it is it fairly watertight? It's not watertight, and there, there, there are also questions as how it's applied. Because anecdotally, I mean, uh, teachers were told to be rigid and not to round up, for example. So if you've got someone at a H two very high and is within touching distance of H one, you don't round it up because apparently teachers were told, um, you know, we'll do that for you. So uh, lots of teachers will apply it rigidly, as they should do. And, 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 and then if someone was marked down rather than marked up, uh, then, then that, that's a pressure point. That seems to be unfair to me. Um, but against the background of all of this, the department will come back and say, OK, you don't like it. You still have the option of doing your, 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 your leaving certain November. <laughs> that would be mm-hmm. appalling. We all have nightmares of having to sit up and, and do the, the leaving cert again. And after people have been through what they've been through this year, no one wants that. But legally, that's a hurdle to get over. Um, if you're down one grade, do you go to the High Court or do you just sit that subject again in November and hope to do better? Yeah. You know? Over the last few days, it was inevitable that people would be upset with what they'd gotten 
people who were very pleasantly surprised. Obviously, they're not going near their solicitor's office, but people who thought they were on course for, and let's just pick a number out of our heads, people who thought they were on course for 500 points and only walked away with 350. And there were some extremes like that. Like, how would one go about legally challenging that, or could one? Yes, certainly could. Well, the, the first thing is, is is you wait until the CEO offers are out later today and have you left out because if you get the course you wished anyway, you might say you get on with it and you don't really want to go through the ordeal of litigation. But if if it is a life-altering event, you've missed out on the course you, and, and uh, you first of all, you put in the appeal process. You do that. You must do that straight away right. before the 16th of September. Uh, and that might sort out some of the some of the gross anomalies like that. Um, like how are they going to appeal something when you don't have an exam paper to go back and check again? Uh, that, well, that's the, the, they first of all check, as I say, for, for obvious mistakes. Um, and they uh, and they then go through the, 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 you need all the papers, you need the teacher's submissions, and you need the, the matrix and how it was applied to your particular case. And yes, that is challengeable if there's a huge gap and, and, and it was just your, 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 your teacher's assessments were effectively ignored because uh, for statistical reason, that's basically unfair and you, and you go further. Uh, now, we, we've had some challenges already before the courts. I mean, uh, the old-fashioned leaving cert was challenged successfully uh, last year in the high courts, and this year with people who were homeschooled, for example. Yeah. And like we don't know because we're in un- uncharted territory, but the, 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 the high court judge, there was Judge Meenan uh, dealing with a case just this year where, where a homeschooled person said they were prejudiced because their, 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 their parent wasn't allowed, their teacher effectively uh, assessed them. And uh, he said, first of all, that this... Uh, the, the doctrine of legitimate expectation, you know, you change the rules, I was entitled to, I legi- mm. I, you know, I, I expect that it was going to go a certain way. That's not enough to win a case. Yeah. You've got to show manifest error. And I know these are legal terms, but but it's, simply, it's a fairly high bar to clear. Yeah. There, you yeah. have to be able to prove legally there was a mistake made. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, something we hear too, David, is we hear about anecdotally that there's only so many H1s allowed in French, for example. Yes. We've never been able to prove that. But if we could, is there a case to be made there? Uh, not really, because I, I suppose if you, uh, we, we've, we've had litigation about that in, in, against uh, Ironically, against solicitors' schools before because they had a quota number and that was knocked down. Um, and you had to be assessed on your merits rather than, you know, so many people got, got, got passes or, 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 or whatever. Now, uh, I, I, I think uh, the, the point is, again, anecdotally, that this year they did away with that and their, at the stats show that overall there are more H1s and higher grades. Yes. So, I th- uh, first of all, it would be difficult to prove. And secondly, I don't think it's the case this year. I think yes. it was the case in the past. So that, for- that, that brings other people from previous years applying with great inflation for the CEO. They're losing out, perhaps, but... They'd have a hard hill to climb to challenges in the courts. To summarise, if there's a family at three o'clock this afternoon for whom it hasn't all worked out as they thought it might, and they feel they've had a raw deal, what what is the the course of events before they come into your office? Well, you should go to your sister straight away, uh, I suppose. But you, you certainly put in an appeal. You consider the option, uh, and it's not an easy ask for a youngster to, to, to sit the leaving cert. You get all the information on, under um, 
freedom of information or data protection, you get the entire file, you go through it with a fine-tooth comb, and if you've lost out, yes, there's some will win their challenges, and or, or perhaps the state might settle them if it's if it's a very strong case. It, it's it's not a case of just uh, going to the high court and automatically winning. It'll be it'll be a, a small percentage of those will win. But of course, you look at you look at all the documentation and see if you've been affected. You also go to your teachers and see uh, see if they'll support you because without the support of the school and the teachers, it would be difficult to challenge. Now, there's the reverse. Then, of course, the teachers were worried that they they got an indemnity because you know we all have the teacher we felt didn't like us. Yes. And and, and and there'll be some litigation on that as well, where where, where uh, the, the school frustrated me. Uh, you know, you were always against me. You didn't give me uh, good enough grades. Um, that would be very difficult to, to show malice just because someone was cross with me or cold with me or didn't give me what I thought I wanted. Mm. Um, you'll always have to squire uh, to, to, to show bias or manifest unfairness. Uh, there'll be a few but there'll be a lot of legend um, who can't quite get over the line. And it could be a costly process, couldn't it? It could. Um, I mean, the High Court is an expensive place to be. It runs to tens of thousands of euro very quickly. And there's the risk, of course, that if you lose, that you, I mean, if you win, you get the costs paid by the state. That's the, what the state's worry. And if you lose, you, you could have costs against you. Now, I would think if you had a genuine case and you just lose out, uh, the state might be slow politically to collect the costs. Or indeed, the courts might say, well, you know, you had a fair... Uh, you know, I'm not finding with you, but you had a good stateable case, and uh, uh, so it, that mightn't be a huge worry here. But it's a risk, yeah. um, and 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 so, so so you get the information, you get the records, you write the letters, you might even prepare the writ. But before going all the way, you'd want to be fairly sure that you've got uh, all your ducks in a row, the teachers on your side, that you've lost out because of the unfairness of the system, that you've lost out your course of choice. And, and that you've exhausted the appeal because if you didn't bother appealing, first of all, they said, well, why rush to the High Court? There was there could have been an easier way of resolving yeah. it. Yeah, you know? there could have been an easier way. Okay, David, thank you very much. That's David Brown from BDM Boylan. You can sue if you want. You can take legal action if you want. But appeal first. There is an exam that can be written in November. You know, Be sure, as David said, you have all your ducks in a row because the High Court... Is an expensive place to go. 1850 Just on the statement with which we opened proceedings this morning, statement from the Cork Education and Training Board uh, with relation to the school, uh, the school in Carrick Tool, School Cleana. Uh, now, I don't know whether it's the same. It's not the same school. Anna says, what happens if there's a case of COVID on a school bus? Uh, obviously, this lady's response was triggered by us reading the statement. Her husband is a bus driver and has underlying, she has underlying conditions. She's terrified someone on the bus will have a case of COVID and via her, her husband, I presume, he'll bring it home. It's, it's a valid, it's a valid concern. We've put a query in on that one with boss Aaron. What happens, she says, if there's a case of COVID on a school bus? This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line, with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Kate says, and this has come up a bit now over the last couple of months, Kate says some of the bus drivers are wearing masks and others are not. 
nobody seems to know what the protocol is. Actually, Kate, the protocol is relatively clear because eventually uh, I got my hands on the statutory instrument to do with this. And if the driver is behind a screen or if the driver has one of those little compartments around them, you know, those closed compartments where you just have a few holes in it to talk to the driver in your butcher. Yeah, yeah. If the driver is in a compartment or behind a screen, they don't have to wear the mask. If they are not protected by a compartment or a screen, then they're supposed to wear the mask. That's pretty much the size of it. 1850 There was a little bit of a salutary lesson for all of us, I think, during the week in terms of social media. And I recall commenting myself on the photograph of a man in a pub in Galway. And it's an elderly man sitting there in his coat and his peaked cap and he's got a pint in front of him and a little bit of dinner and an alarm clock. And the impression was that this is a poor misfortunate man terrified by the restrictions and with his alarm clock so he won't over overdo it. He won't take too long over his dinner in the pub. But it went around as a very sad photo and people were queuing up to give him virtual pints or wanting to reach out to him. Turns out uh, he's a very ordinary man. His name is John Joe and he brings the, uh, the, the alarm clock with him all the time because he doesn't wear a watch but he wants to make sure that he gets home in time for the news. So there was nothing particularly untoward about it at all. And someone in the pub in Galway just spotted this clock and jumped to conclusions. Like jumping to conclusions could be an Olympic sport in some place. Then again, we all did. I I looked at That's so sad. Because I jumped probably to the same conclusion. Sean O'Leary, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are oh, you keeping? Ah, dear, my old friend, there's a voice. There's a voice I haven't heard from a while, for, for, for a while. As it is, it's a salutary lesson for us all about social media, isn't it? I think so. And it's very, you really do have to start looking at everything before you react now, because people are rushing towards one person, and then they're rushing towards another person, then they're rushing away from somebody. And, and we need to start taking everything in our in our in our way do you know what i mean and looking at everything carefully and and just not reacting so quickly i've been guilty of it before as well with a post and stuff but i've hit 50 now pj so my big thing at the moment is to cultivate wisdom about time some of us started yes. myself included <laughs> yeah yeah but like it looked the way it was portrayed i remember looking at it and re- and thinking that's so sad there he was with his bit of dinner and his half finished point he's got his hat and coat on him and it's almost as if he's waiting for the alarm to go off cuz i have to go now i i what i thought and i'm desperate it just shows how how a bit hard is. i said jesus if he wore a watch there'd be nothing about him yes you know and and i think that, yeah it's it's and my big kind of feeling behind the whole thing is that people were rushing and they were crying and they were buying in virtual pints and they were all, this is bringing tears to my eyes. But yes, if they were sitting in a pub and that old man needed to sit down next to them, they mightn't be that happy. Mm-hmm. We need to start talking to people more face-to-face, to your neighbours, to somebody, and listen to them because, again... I think the idea of buying a virtual charity isn't all about money. It isn't about throwing money at something and you don't have to do it. Charity is much more about giving your time, smiling, waving at people more. And I think that's what we have to start doing. Yeah. 
Now, I suppose there's nothing wrong with kindness. And if a situation strikes you as being very sad, there's nothing nothing wrong with a bit of kindness. Oh, sure, of course. But we have to kind of start... I I think, you know, people find it very more comfortable now to be worried about that photo and the, the, the abstract to the person in the photo rather than the person down the road from them. And that's why we need to start to kind of bring it back to there and to be more worried about people around us. And if everybody started worrying about people around them, we'd have a much better world. Might we call it virtue signalling and say virtue signalling is cheap online, but we wouldn't have the same kindness towards the genuine own man down down our own boozer? I think so. I think if you know, and I mean, again, God help us if the poor creator drank all the pints that were virtually bought for him or that were said that was bought from online he'd be in some states that you wouldn't want him near you do you know what i mean there's a kind of um do you know even i have goats pj now and i had a puck goat who had a great game of winding himself up around his tether and then loosening himself again and winding up and loosening again and he'd be checked two or three times a day when next thing a tourist ran down to my neighbor kind of going oh my god the goat is dying the goat is almost dead and she said, that's the best looked after goat in the world. But your man was ready to go off on Facebook then to say he saved a goat's life. Do you know what I mean? There's a... I was wondering where you were going with the goat story, Sean. I should have yes. known there'd be a logical conclusion to it. <laughs> but it is this idea of people rushing in to save. When, and a good friend of mine, the post on Facebook, she was saying they're probably projecting their own feelings of loneliness and isolation that they need to start out. And again, if they start talking to people in their locality, in their, in their circles more and listening more rather than being, it's just, it's just a telltale sign how people are so much quicker to react to something on Facebook rather than something next door. Yeah. Are you enjoying a nice retirement with the goats, Sean? You, you moved oh, off down to West Cork years ago. Yes, I'm, I'm back now to Kerry. I'm back in Port McGee and having a wonderful time, PJ. And the lockdown, my lifestyle was perfect for the lockdown because it was up in the morning, whatever time, down to the goats. And then they started kidding and they started milking. And uh, I'm nearly the goat guru now because I have a lot of old videos up about the goats and, and things. I'm, I, as I say, cultivating wisdom now is my big thing at the moment. Good man. You're making any bit of cheese? Oh, yeah. Small bit of cheese as well. Good all right, it's great to hear your voice. It's Love been a it's you, been a while, Sean. Take care. That's Sean O'Leary. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Many's the row and many's the battle Sean had on this show with other people, with that simple level of common sense and kindness that he that he exudes, and a great sense of humour as well. And I wouldn't be inclined to take him on in a row myself. But great to hear his voice again. Thanks, Sean. And there's a point in what he makes. Everybody. Piled onto this photo of John Joe. John Joe was doing just doing what John Joe always does. Having his bit of dinner, having his point, and waiting for his ding ding of his alarm to go home and watch the news. Sometimes there's more to it, or rather less to it, than we might think. I'm coming up in just a minute. You might want to rethink that tongue piercing that you think would be the best thing ever happened to you. You might want to. Or if your teenager wants a tongue piercing, you might have a word in their logo. 
because a, a, a dental expert in Cork has just discovered a shocking side effect of tongue piercings. Get to that in a while. But first of all, the Social Democrats will have a are having a collection in Cork City for a very unusual reason. Explain to me, Louise O'Donnell, why are you collecting period products? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Um, I suppose I had a, a teacher kind of I was chatting with about the start of the school year and all of the changes that have come about as a result of COVID. Um, one of the things that she highlighted to me is that uh, students were no longer able to leave the, the school grounds during school day. So traditionally, while people might have been able to like pop to the shop or head home, um, they're not able to do that any longer in order to kind of limit contact. Uh, so while, you know, it's perfectly sensible from a COVID perspective, it kind of raised some concerns about uh, period poverty. Now, what we now, I'd like for me what what that is. I mean, I'm just a yeah. bloke, so ex- explain for me in baby baby talk what is period yeah. poverty. So, studies have shown that fifty uh, percent of teenagers between the ages of twelve and nineteen actually struggle to afford period products. Talking about sanitary towels and, and tampons, it works out at an average cost of about one hundred and thirty-two euro per year um, for each person, and is, as you can imagine, that's uh, quite a cost. And especially for someone who might be uh, between the ages of 12 and 17. Uh, we also know that at least one in four children in the state actually uh, are currently living in poverty. Uh, so when we talk about period poverty, what we're talking about is struggling to afford basic products that uh, every person, um, uh, you know, who's a That's woman something or, you're going to walk up to your parents and ask for a tenner for. We, we would hope that you'd be able to do yeah, that. But they don't, both. let's face it, they don't. Yeah. Shame and stigma, unfortunately, still do exist. Uh, 61% of uh, young people express kind of shame or embarrassment around it. And so I suppose what we're doing is kind of counteracting that. So uh, particularly in schools that might be experiencing some disadvantage around the city, uh, we know that the parents of those children are already facing huge costs with the back to school period uh, we have all those extra books and I'm sure they're coming home with shopping lists nearly every day of various bits and pieces that they want to pick up and in order to kind of counteract the, that one minor concern which is uh, uh, period poverty what we've done is we're, we're arranging a collection essentially uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to set ourselves up under a marquee although hopefully the weather will allow us to be out in the open air um, tomorrow afternoon uh, between 11 and uh, 2 p.m. and we're going to collect some products. Uh, those products then will be put into boxes, quarantined for a period and then delivered to uh, various schools around the city. Um, and kind of hopefully that'll help to, to meet some of the needs of, of young people, uh, particularly in schools that might already experience some disadvantage. This again sounds like a typically stupid blokey question, but why is it that every girl's school doesn't have vending machines anywhere for this kind of thing? Well, it's not necessarily a stupid question. I suppose recently the Oireachtas Committee uh, Women's Caucus had actually highlighted the issue of period poverty in the Dáil and it had apparently only been mentioned something like 30 times over the history of of Dáil Éireann. Um, What they wanted is uh, the delivery of free products throughout public buildings. So that being schools and libraries and so on and so forth. Um, to to essentially combat this issue. Um, so while vending machines might be available, obviously there there's some costs involved. 
Now, what Dublin City Council did recently is they made Column 3 and they're yeah. putting them into all public buildings. And we'd hope that we may be able to follow suit here in Cork or, you know, it might be a national uh, introduction of, of uh, okay. free products. But for, for now, your, your collection is outside Paul Street Shopping Centre Saturday and Sunday, 11 to 2. Exactly, yes. All right, um, Louise, good luck, good luck with it. It's an interesting topic. It's come up on the show before, but good to get it explained. 1850-715-996. That's Louise O'Donnell. Now, tongue piercing, like I said, uh, there are loads of people with tongue piercings. I know other people myself with tongue piercings. I was never particularly driven in that direction myself. But uh, Rebecca Pearson, good morning to you. Rebecca, you're a, a hygienist in the Little Island Dental Surgery and, and you have discovered you have discovered a side effect of tongue piercing that uh, would should put people off them. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. What did you Very discover good. and how? I had this patient two weeks ago and on kind of examining their mouth I noticed that there was a lot of gum recession just on one tooth. Right. Now they had a tongue piercing. Gum recession is what Rebecca? So gum recession is you've got your gum is a soft tissue um, and when a soft tissue comes in contact with something um, like abrasive or hard it wears away so it wears down so recession is when your gum has come down a small bit from where it should be. So shrinking, like? Yeah, in a, in a way, shrinking, um, but more kind of worn away because it's irreversible damage. So right. I suppose if something shrunk, it can kind of unshrink. But um, no, recession is irreversible, so it's, it's damage created to the, to the gum. And what happens as a result of that damage, or what can happen? Um, what can happen is, in the long term, tooth loss. Um, but in the short term, what can happen is things like sensitivity and things like that because your your gum protects the dentine and the dentine um, can be quite sensitive when it's exposed. So short term sensitivity, long term can lead to tooth loss eventually. Now, yeah, now how did the photo- photograph here in front of me, all right, I can see that, oh yeah, yeah the, the bottom of the tooth is, is exposed, it shouldn't be. Yeah. Now, yeah. how can you tie that to a tongue piercing? How do you figure that out? So I figured this out by, when you look at the image, so you can see there's four teeth you can see in the image. Yes. One has the recession, um, it was actually seven millimetres recession on this tooth, um, and it is where the tongue bar lies. So it's solely indicated that it was the tongue okay. bar that did it. Yeah. I see. So, so that, yeah. that particular part of the gum was constantly having the tongue bar move up and down along it. That's and it. it wore away. Our, yeah. Our tongue is such a strong muscle, you know, we use it for talking, yeah. eating, you know, it's constantly moving yes. in the mouth. So and, and once you get used to this thing being in your tongue, those of us who've had or those I know who've had them, you don't even realise that it's there. No, so it's moving no. around and it's banging off the back of your teeth and it's rubbing off the back of your gum and it does damage. That's it, yeah, that's it. And like from a hygiene point of view, it would be, you know, the gum recession that we would look at. And from a dentist point of view then, um, some people have presented with fractures on their teeth, right. especially their upper molars from the tongue piercings as well. Again, you know, it's it's so, I suppose... You get used to something in the mouth. You don't know if you're moving it around, uh-huh. or you could be accidentally biting it when you're eating. You know, yeah. 
And they're so fashionable now. I think you were they at are. pains to suggest that this is not this is not the patient's fault. They weren't to know. No, no it wasn't. And this patient actually had the plastic ball um, in the tongue piercing. Oh, right. so, I, I thought the yeah. plastic would be a safer one. Yeah, yeah. So I don't have my tongue pierced, so I'm not sure. But you have to have the metal in for X amount of time. Um, and then when it's in for X amount of time, um, you change it to the plastic. But I, I don't know how long the metal is in for. Gotcha. You know, so, yeah. So the advice is avoid them, is that it? I would say so, yeah. I would say avoid them. Um, as well, you know, can you remember years ago, the fashion was to get that piercing on your lip that looked like um, like a beauty mark? Oh, yeah. Do yeah. you remember those? Um, a lot of people had them. And when you get your lip pierced, that can cause irreversible damage as well. So to your teeth? You know, yeah, to your gums and your teeth, yeah. yeah. Oh, because it's rubbing behind. That's it, yeah. yeah. So it would be at the front of the mouth. So this patient here, if, if they were to smile, you wouldn't see the recession. It's in the inside. Whereas if you have the... The lip piercings, it would be on the outside, if that makes sense. I think so it's probably it. better, Rebecca, to give a simple piece of advice and don't be sticking things in your lips or your tongue. Yeah. yeah I would yeah. think. <laughs> yeah, I'm no fashion expert, but um, yeah. <laughs> okay, fashion is one thing, but like, if there's fashion and there's sort of, you know you're damaging your teeth, you know you're damaging your gums here. Yeah, you know? yeah. You wouldn't go around yeah. sucking sugar, put it that way. Not at all, no, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it, you know, like I know when when you're a teenager, Jesus, you know, you don't, you kind of rebel and want to do things, but that image doesn't last forever, you know, and it does cause irreversible damage. So what I would say to people thinking about it is, Maybe don't do it, you know. All right, okay. Rebecca, thanks very much. That's Rebecca Pearson uh, from Little Island Dental Surgery. It's not your fault. You didn't cause it. You just didn't know it would be caused. So that tongue piercing or those things in your lips or your whatever, just don't because they damage your teeth. It can damage your teeth. 1850-715-996 The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM With the Junction, Vickers Road Supermarket, Solid Fuel Depot and a self-service laundrette Your one stop for everything You're listening to highlights from The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM To hear the full show Download the podcast from iTunes or see 96FM.ie the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Yeah, I thought about that. The, the, the 9 11 thing. Um, they're not going to be able to commemorate that in, in the same way as they always would do. And that's a very big day in New York every uh, September 11th. It'll be a huge day worldwide this time next year because. And hard to credit it, but this day next year, it will be 20 years on from 9-11. That is actually a little bit scary. Because it's the day, I think, that once you're old enough to remember, you will never forget where you were, what you were doing when you first heard the news coming from, from New York City. And how the whole world changed on that day in a matter of a couple of hours we all sat and we watched it wherever we were. It was 19 years ago today, and uh, we should never, ever forget 
and next year will be a huge year of commemoration of 9-11 and of course massive Irish connections with that huge Irish connections. 1850-715-996 text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696 the email for the show is opinion at 96fm.ie had an email from Shane and I wonder if anybody else is experiencing this. This is exactly what he wanted us to ask. If anybody else is having problems with their crash fees at the moment. We were delighted, Sashane, to get our two back to crash this month. Lockdown was tough on them and on us. And it's great to have some normality back. However, I got an awful shock when we got the first bill. The fees have gone up by almost 200 a month between the two of them with no consultation and no notice. I had to take a pay cut in work because of COVID. We have absolutely no way of affording this. The fees for uh, just two kids are now 2,000 a month. What the hell? 2,000 a month and it's killing us. We have no alternative as we have no family in Cork. And I really feel the creches are taking the mick because they're getting the same government supports as other businesses as anybody else experienced. That is, now look, fresh fees are ridiculously high as it is, to be quite honest. It, it has 2,000 a month for two children. Like that's, that's another mortgage. That's more than another mortgage. How the hell? We'll come back to it later then. We will come back to that later. Anyone else have an experience like that? They just got a letter uh, to say that the fees have gone up 200 a month no consultation, no notice, no explanation. He's taking a pay cut. Obviously, loads of people, thousands of people are taking a pay cut. Some people have lost their jobs entirely. Uh, they've no way of affording it. They just can't, just can't afford it. Two grand a month for two kids. Uh, and with no alternative, because, as he said, we've no family in Cork. Anyone else come across that? We'll come back to it, though. 1850-715-996. Text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Now, the... College places are out today. The points and the CIT or the CAO first round of offers are out today. And uh, we caught up with uh, Dr. Mary O'Connor at CIT a number of times across the course of the last few months as to how the education sector was dealing with or trying to deal with uh, COVID-19. And of course, it'll be a whole new experience going back, new students and uh, existing students going back to CIT. Uh, Dr. O'Connor, good to talk to you again. Good morning. Morning, Peter. How are you? Good. Are you open? Are you ready yet? We're open. We're ready. But we're obviously because of the, the whole COVID business and social and physical distancing and so on, uh, we've had to develop a whole new timetable on the availability of space and classes for students for the coming year. But that has all been... Um, uh, sent out notes to have been published in terms of uh, who will be in college and when and for how long, you know. Uh, and as you can appreciate, with 12,000 plus students, mm. uh, it wasn't an easy jigsaw to put together. And it, it has taken a lot of work and uh, it'll be difficult. None of, us, none of us want to be where we are at this point, but we are and we just have to deal with it, you know. What kind of plans do you have, Barry? Because, like you said, 12,500 students is an awful lot of people trying to socially distance them. I think you gave me a stat at one point in the summer where one of your biggest lecture theatres, you could only hold about 40 in it as opposed to a couple of hundred. Yeah, but you see, that's the the, the robust was, PJ, in terms of where are we? We're working under public health guidelines. Our priority is the health and safety of students and staff. 
to begin with. And then under that under that uh, heading, we got to deliver uh, a high quality, high class professional education to our students. And I guess the so the the bottom line is you mentioned lecture theatres, uh, students will be getting their lectures online. Online. Um, but then if you consider we are the largest engineering school on the island of Ireland and strong culinary, strong arts, strong music, all those students will need to have access to labs, yeah. studios, workshops, uh, and so on. So what we're doing to try and support the students and then to, to give, uh, again, to, be, to, to, to maintain the public health guidelines and so on and safety, is we're, we're grouping together students uh, and the, the practice, for example, if you're an engineering student, we are doing our best to make sure, in fact, we've decided that you'll have, as, normally you might have three or four practicals uh, spread across the week. So what we're doing is we're grouping the practicals for any given class say, in engineering on one day or, it might, or there might be two consecutive days. Right. So you won't have students having to be in college on a Monday and then again on a Friday, it'll be Monday or it'll be, Tuesday, or it'll be Monday and Tuesday. And then if you look at, say, down the Crawford College of Art and Design, where, you know, obviously students need access to, 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 the, uh, to their, their studio space down there, be it for ceramics or for, or, or for fine art or whatever, they will be in a lot more. But, but to go back to it, lectures will be online. Uh, but where we have, as I said, where students need access, be it to, to, to laboratories, uh, workshops, uh, architecture studios, uh, music studios, uh, kitchens, whatever, they will be in for that portion of their work and uh, online for the rest of it. Okay. It's going to throw up hurdles and it's, some of them, I guess, you'll only realise how to get over them or figure out how to get over them when they prop up. Well, I, I guess uh, we do have the experience, PJ, you know, and unfortunately we have the experience of semester two. We were halfway through semester two, as you know, when the lockdown happened and both staff and students turned around at that point and we put everything online uh, or our lecturing was online and huge credit due to, due to the staff, lecturing staff and, and our, our, our technology staff, our IT systems to actually allow us to put that online. But then and the other part of all that then was the assessment went online as well. There was a big push towards continuous assessment and rightly so so that students were, were accumulating credit as they're, as they're going along, accumulating marks. So we've learned a lot of lessons from that, um, and we have a lot of systems in place. Uh, uh, but don't underestimate it. It's, it's not going to be easy for staff. It's not going to be easy for students. But um, we have a very committed workforce here, very professional uh, lecturing staff and support staff. They're all from the professions, be it accounting or engineering or, or music or art. They're all professionals themselves, and they want to maintain maintain the high level of professionalism for their own professions yeah. and give high quality education to our students in these very, very difficult times. You have a couple of things put in place, a couple of different measures put in place. One of them is the REACH initiative. What's that? Well, with the, with the REACH initiative, we, we have a, a very successful programme run here for a number of years now called Good Start. Uh, Good Start Half the Battle, Two Smart Land of Hibra, mm-hmm. And based on that, we, are, we will be appointing academic coordinators out of the same sort of idea to reach out to the students and we have a huge emphasis on first years PJ then the first years coming in here on the 5th of October and good luck to everybody getting their getting their their, their CEO offers today um, it's a, a trying time for all those students and, and their families so we'll be putting a special emphasis on first years but also on second years PJ because the second years 
who last year's first years suffered a huge amount of disruption in, in, in semester two and right the way through to, to the, the autumn exams and so on. So they, they need taken care of as well. Uh, luckily, the students in third and fourth year are well into the system. The lecturers know them. We know them. They know the lecturers. So we're putting a huge emphasis for, for these, for the, the REACH initiative, will be, as, as it says, and, and the TIN will be reaching out online to support incoming first years, but also our continuing second years, uh, again, to, to, to strengthen the connection between themselves and, 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 and the institute and, and their lecturers. It's a big technological challenge. It, it is, but PJ, uh, let it be said, uh, and wouldn't underestimate it, um, as I say, the, the, the IT platforms or uh, the, the technology enhanced learning department on one side and our reach and, and our student engagement people on the other side is two sides of the same kind. But just to say, in, in, in some form of mitigation, uh, the, the current generation of students are, have a lot more, um, how should we say, uh, familiarity with, with, with online issues yes. than, than, than previous generations of students. Uh, but it's to try and build on that and give the students the same, not the same, but an equivalent student experience to let them know they're part of a CIT community because here in CIT is what we do. We have a huge, we build on partnership, PJ, between our students' union and our lecturing staff and our students and our support services. It, it's a community. And if, if, while students are, are, are online, um, we want them to be part of that community as well and to develop a community there because, look, in many respects, PJ, it's probably... It's probably a lot of what's going to happen in the future anyway, but but you can't you can't get away from the face to face, which is really important. Um, and as I say, in terms of practicals and studios, workshops, and so on, there will be face to face contact there um, with um, social distancing, protective equipment, and so on. And across the college, we've we've put a lot of work into across the four campuses, between here in Bishopstone, Crawford College. Moshama Crawford Street, School of Music in Union Key, and Belonging is in the National Maritime College. We put a lot of effort in, in place now to basically to enforce the guidelines of, of good hand hygiene, uh, walking on, 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 on you know, one-way systems around the, the, the campus yeah. and so on. Will so people have to wear a mask on campus? Indoors, for sure, yeah. yeah. That, uh, wearing a mask will be mandatory, yeah. 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 And, and, and we put a lot of effort into, into uh, hand, hand sanitizing stations right across the four campuses as well. So, again, it's, it's, it's following the public health guidelines, Peter, and we're just doing our best. The, the, the first priority here is the safety of our students, our staff, and their families, because, you know, you've, it's, it's students, our staff, for that matter. It's not just the staff member or the individual student. It's their family and their friends at home as well. So, you know, we, we have to do our bit to, 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 to keep this under control in so far as possible. Good luck to everybody, to staff and students and management at CIT when the new term starts. It's going to be a term like no other. Dr Barry O'Connor, thank you very much. 1850 Back to that childcare issue. That and other issues next. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the indoor self-service laundrette. Now at the Junction Vickers Road. Every day washing and drying. Done within an hour. Selfservicelaundry.ie It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. 
When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Court's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Court's 96FM. Yeah. We're getting a few responses to Shane's email, um, which I'll bring up in a minute with uh, with Francis Bourne from Early Childhood Ireland. But certainly there seems to be a bit of it going on where creches are just jacking up the fees. Now, you can imagine they're going through a hard time themselves, but hiking up fees, can't imagine. Some people will have to take their children out of there or find an alternative which is virtually impossible for people like Shane. But uh, Early Childhood Ireland issued a statement or issued a report this week called Dealing with the Pandemic, the Case of the Early Years and School-Aged Child Care Providers. And we did talk throughout the early months of the pandemic about the effect on child care and closing child care and then trying to reopen child care when lockdown ended and, and the various hurdles that had to be jumped along the way and for all the childcare providers that I spoke to it was an absolute nightmare to try to get back up and running. Some of them just could figure out no way of doing it either safely or cost effectively. Francis Bourne is from Early Childhood Ireland. Francis, good morning to you. Good morning. It has been one of the worst hit sectors and I'd say many of your members, did they come back at all? Uh, actually, most did. Um, about in the initial reopening on the 29th of June, the the department has said that uh, around 80-85% came back of those who, who would normally be uh, open in the summer. And uh, we still obviously don't have figures yet on the numbers that went back then for the wider reopening at the end of August. But certainly based on our support phone line and so on, we, we would expect that the vast majority have gone back, yes. What sort of issues are still being faced at this stage? Well, the biggest one uh, I would think at the moment is the delays in testing and concerns about them. So if a staff member or a child uh, there's a suspicion either the GP is saying you need to go for a test or somebody thinks they may have been exposed to it and they've been alerted by the app or by public health elsewhere. There, we're hearing very mixed uh, reports about the, the length of time that it's taken for, for testing. But, and of course that impacts on everybody. But the difference in a crash is that there are very 
strict guidelines about the numbers of uh, adults per children called ratios. So if a staff member is waiting for a test and then waiting for a test result, they could be out for up, for up to a week. Yeah. And at the moment, the way pods are organised and so on, that has a knock-on implication for uh, the creche provider having to make decisions um, and that's a real concern. So Early Childhood Ireland has asked like, for fast... In, in practical terms, Francis, yes. if, if, a, if a staff member has to, if you like, absent themselves for a few days to have a test and wait for the result of a test, what are the effects directly on the ground for the other kids? Well, you see, if it's a case that the, the staff member is out, it depends very much on what kind of symptoms they've had, where they got exposed. But let's say that there's no concern about the crash. There's no immediate concern about the pod or the crash. The problem is that even in those circumstances, even if a GP is being very, very cautious and saying to somebody, look, I want you to uh, go for a test, stay at home until you get the test, stay at home until you get the result of the test. If the testing is delayed, or whether waiting for the actual test or, or for the result, it has a knock-on effect on the provider who has to operate very strict staff, adult-to-child, what are called adult-to-child ratios. Yeah. And because people are organised in pods at the moment, you could be down a staff member in a pod, which actually means legally you have to close that pod, possibly close the room, um, and depending on how tight your margins are, you could potentially have to uh, close uh, a, a setting even for a day or two. So now, you may have to send maybe, a couple of kids home. You may have sent a couple of kids home. You may have sent 15 kids home. You may have sent five. Now, not to alarm people, but uh, because uh, children haven't returned at this stage across corporate 100% of children have not come back. There is a little bit of capacity, but our concern is coming into the winter. And what we have said in early childhood Ireland, immediately the government could fast-track testing for educators, the way they're discussing doing it for teachers in primary and secondary education. We're arguing that our educators in our sector, all 30,000 of them, should be considered part of the education workforce for the purposes of fast-track testing. Yeah. It's really important. Uh, it's also really important so the parents can feel reassured in case an outbreak happens that they do know as soon as possible. And yeah. we have seen some outbreaks uh, in creches, even if they didn't originate in the creche, yeah. some community ones that have come in. So, And that's bound to happen. And we, we all know that. That, that, that has implications. That yeah. Sorry, that, that has implications not just for the service provider and the staff. Uh, it has implications for all of the working parents connected to the children that may have to go home. Completely and totally. So it has a huge knock-on effect. And you know, as you said in your introduction, if we never knew how important early years care, school age care, and education were, we found out during the lockdown where there were parents who really struggled with working from home. Some who couldn't because uh, of, of the nature of their work and so on and not having a crash and not having the backup of the cocooning grandparents really put parents under pressure and we're sort of back there now in the sense that we're not in lockdown but there would be concerns I think as we've seen the numbers growing particularly in places like Limerick and Dublin and inevitably we will see we will see that continue I think that there would be concerns about grandparents you can't, we're all back to really thinking about protecting older people quite rightly mm. so for those reasons as well, you absolutely want uh, fast-track uh, turnaround times for testing um, and tracing um, and results, absolutely. The, the, the ratio thing comes into play again in your report when you mentioned that it's important that the wage subsidy scheme is extended to support the sector. 
Absolutely. So we, we have really welcomed that it has continued and the wage subsidy scheme for our sector uh, operates in a, a much more flexible way than it does in other sectors. Again, it's the government recognising that the sector needs this. Um, so the, our understanding is that the government is saying till the end of the year, we believe it's going to need extending beyond that, uh, partly because of the capacity issues around children possibly not coming back in full. And again, if people have staffing concerns, they may need to bring in new people. So we, we certainly we welcome that. We think it's a very important step by government. Um, and But we need to see that continuing. It's absolutely vital. And in the case studies report, member after member has said it's the only, it's the main reason they were able to keep the show on the road. Would you have fingers crossed, Francis, in the sector that we don't have another lash of this through winter? We've concern, our case numbers are causing concern in, say, Dublin and Limerick at the moment. But if we had to yeah. go into another national crisis, if we were dragged into another national crisis, could your sector take a second hit? We'd have everything crossed. And I think the thing that we learned the last time was that there was a delay between an announcement about a wage subsidy scheme, the temporary one, um, and then its actual implementation. We couldn't have anything like that. I suppose that's another reason why it's welcome that the wage subsidy scheme has stayed in place. If, and nobody wants it, but you're quite right, it's on everybody's minds all the time. If there was another lockdown, at least the wage subsidy scheme is in place. People could continue um, to get it. But, of course, there are other things that creches pay for every day. So we would be back to the government saying, look, you need to leave. That the, the, they had a, a sort of a top up. They would have to restore the top up so that people could pay rent, mortgages, insurance and so on if there was another lockdown. We hope that the government would be receptive. I think they would be, uh, again, given that, you know, the, the critical work that our Childhood Ireland members do all around uh, Cork and beyond uh, is so important that I think there's been a huge recognition of that. But look, nobody wants another lockdown. And of course, it's on the top of people's minds uh, all the time. Yeah, well, I think, that in t- to be fair to the public health authorities, the last thing they want is another lockdown as well. But, mm. you know, it may become inevitable in some regions, at least, over the yeah. coming months. Just come back before I finish with you, Francis. I read out an email before I brought you on from, from a listener who, who's quite shocked. Um, he They brought their two children back to creche, delighted to get them back. But when they got the first bill their fees have gone up by almost 200 a month and they're now paying 2,000 a month for two children and the cost, that's an astonishing cost. Are costs going up because of the uh, the, result, the pandemic? Well, there are a few things to say about this. So, so first of all, this would be the time of the year if fees are going to go up because even though there are crashes, about a third of the sector stays open for the summer Everybody operates on the uh, uh, mirrors the school year. That said, fees didn't go up for about four or five years and then Pubble, which surveys and, and, and are the experts on the sector, about two years ago, fees went up by a, a, an average 7% and then last year around 3 or 4%. That sounds like, I mean, I totally understand why those parents would be, you know, really shocked. Presumably there's two children if, if the increase is so high. I mean, one of the things that we would say in Early Childhood Ireland is that you know, communication with parents is so important on a day-to-day basis, but also for these big decisions. So if providers are having to increase fees, whether it's €10 Euro or €100, Euro, they really need to tell parents 
that they're doing it and why they're doing it. Mm. A lot of the time, like last year when fees did go up a small bit, we had, I mean, I had four parents contact me personally and I said to each of them, go back and talk to the crash provider and they did and came back to me and said, oh, I totally understand now why the fees went up. So, you know, it's absolutely important and parents should feel empowered to ask, look, this is a huge hit. I'd like to understand why uh, this has gone up. And certainly to, to, to answer the, the last bit of your question, Peter, absolutely, people are experiencing um, uh, increases, whether it's in, I mean, every every employer and every uh, everybody uh, will tell you that the cost of what we generally call PPE has gone up generally. It's not nothing to do with the childcare sector. So gloves, masks and so on have yeah. gone up. Um, so, you know, but but it's about, I mean, the, the, the creche, quite frankly, should be communicating with parents uh, advance warning and explaining why. And a lot of the time when parents hear that, it's not that they, they're happy about the extra money, but they, they, they understand. And, you know, finally, just to say the reason why this happens is because Ireland is the lowest investor still all these years later yeah. across the European Union. So we've ended up with the highest fees in Europe. Um, it's not fair. It's not fair on parents. Um, and we need a greater investment and we'll be launching our budget submission next week and that's our only ask. We need greater investment so that parents aren't hit like this, so providers can have certainty. And so we have, uh, we're rewarding the great staff, the great 30,000 well-qualified staff that they're being rewarded properly. Okay, good talking to you. Francis Bourne from Early Childhood Ireland, 185715996, inevitably costs are going to go up. That just seems to be how it is. Uh, Childcare is the hardest job, says Siobhan, done to an exacting standard, and people want it for as little as possible. To be honest, a thousand to mind a child for a month sounds like a bargain. I wouldn't do it for ten thousand, says Siobhan. Then Ailish says, surely you have a friend or a neighbour to help. This is addressing Shane's email. Surely you have a friend or a neighbour to help. That's crazy money. Advertise on a Facebook page or the paper looking for a childminder. If you live near me, I'd help you. Then there's a, a discussion goes on between Ailish and others. The vast majority of people don't have a friend or neighbour who can mind their children. It's crazy money, but unfortunately the norm for two kids in a creche or with a trained, vetted childminder. Charlie says, I have twins in Cork. It's almost 1800 a month for the two of them after the €20 Euro child per child per week subsidy from the government. Then we have after school for a six-year-old to pay for as well. No family down here as we're from Galway and Mayo and we wouldn't expect a neighbour to do it for pennies either. Certainly not for nothing. Finbar says there's always an excuse for a price increase. Always an excuse. Brexit, Trump, COVID-19. Any excuse. Bree says it's not okay, those prices, but I'm not surprised either. Some money, though, to be made from desperate parents who don't have family close by to help. Sebastian is lucky. Our crash hasn't increased the fees. Caroline says, just to let Shane know that, let there be no doubt this increase is not being passed on to staff and never has been. Most of the staff are on minimum wage. It's pure greed on the part of private practitioners. Ratios have always been there, so staff are out under normal circumstances. The same rules apply. Now, we've had many people as well saying, just get a local childminder. The, yeah, you see, the costs will run up pretty much the same. Two children, a five, five an hour each for eight hours a day. Five days a week, that's 400 a week. That's that's 1,600 a month. And if you want to be smart, as some people are, and say get an old pair, well, the problem with all pairs now, uh, you're obliged to pay them uh, at least the minimum wage. That's 429 euro per week, including PRSI. 
and you have to give them the room and board as well. So that's not the easy out it used to be. The cost of childcare is outrageous. And what Francis says is right. Government needs to be supporting it more. Then again, you always have the argument, well, hang on a second, I don't have children. I've no need of children. I've no need of childcare for anyone. Why am I paying taxes to support somebody else's child? That's what will happen too. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Talked a lot in recent times about changes in Cork. Only the other day we had a good long Barney here on the show about the changes in McCorton Street and the new buildings going up and some people like them and some people don't. I personally like glass and flat concrete. I do. That's just me, but some people don't and they want to look at our, our older buildings and beautify them and keep them and, and preserve the character of the city. Uh, a lot of people disagreed with me when I said the sectant was just an old pub. And I know that sounds awful for me to say, but that's what it was to me. But I... You know, I'm open to being educated. Mike Moynihan's written a piece in the Examiner that says that Cork has the beauty of Dutch style, the Mediterranean feel, the hills, and it's all walkable. Uh, that's a very, very good selling point, Mike. Good morning. Morning, PJ. How are you? Well, good, as good. you well know, you never met a person from Cork who wouldn't sell Cork. So <laughs> that's very true. We're in a time. We're in a time of change, and it's change that some people don't like, and some people do. Absolutely. I mean, I've been writing this column in the examiner for a few weeks just about the urban experience, if that's not too grandiose a term. But there was quite a reaction to the piece I wrote about um, with Frank O'Connor and Jude Cherry of Inish.org, their environmental uh, consultants and design specialists. And we had just an interesting chat about what you just described, that kind of tension between the new and the old. And I suppose it's crystallizing in stuff like the sextant, where you do have people who are passionate about keeping it. And you've other people who may not be as passionate for a point, you know, also that the city does need uh, new buildings and a new office stock and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Like, I would have been, take the Sextant as a prime example. I wouldn't have had a problem with uh, preserving it as part of a new structure. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but in terms of the weeping and gnashing of teeth at pulling it down, we can build a pub where it once stood. We can copy it. Take pictures and copy it and read. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think I think more. I, I hesitate to say most reasonable people. I think understand or comprehend that. On the one hand, it would be nice to have a respect for the built heritage of the city, but that we also are in the middle of a homelessness crisis and a housing crisis. Yeah. And as you say, we're still dealing with the aftershocks from the lockdown, and you know, economically, that's going to be a challenge. So. Those two things intersect, I suppose, with the sextant. And I'd, I'd been kind of go along with you that if there was some way of preserving the facade, I'm not an architect or an engineer, I don't pretend to that expertise, but it would seem, it would strike me as being eminently doable that you could retain some elements of the facade and yet have a modern building that's fit for purpose as mm-hmm. well. But, so I suppose the fact that we're having these conversations is, is good. Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm actually a huge fan of doing that, Mike, in, in, of yeah. keeping... But one thing that you, you learn the minute you start talking to structural engineers, you could walk in, and again, let's use it as a prime example, you could walk into the sextant and say, well, do you know what, now I'm going to build this big office building 
or this big apartment block. I'm going to build it and I'm going to, yeah, and I'm going to build this beautiful old pub into the corner of it. Mm. And the engineer is going to take one look at you and go, nah, not happening, dude. Not happening. Yeah, I mean, but, but surely, I, and again, now this is not saying six to one half dozen years. Surely there's space for the conversation about that to kind of yeah. tease that out a little bit. And may, maybe, and again, I'm not, I'm not taking on city council to be unrealistic in their demands of developers or planners, but to say, look, we don't want to create a facsimile of the financial district in Dublin or London or what have you. We'd like something with a bit more character, a bit more personality, and something that sets the place apart. And I'm sure, you know, if there was a will to cooperate, something could be done. Yeah. But I think I think the fact that, you know, we, we tend to have these conversations looking in the rear view mirror. It's already been done. Yes. And then and then everyone is up in arms. Whereas at least maybe if there was more of a process of engagement beforehand. Everyone might say at least, well, look, at least we aired our views and, you know, if they were taken on board, great. And if not, I can't complain that I wasn't listened to. Yeah. Something that came up, come up in your article and has come up repeatedly in this programme over the last few months in particular is the, the, the old buildings, the wonderful old buildings up and down the country or up and down the city that are derelict. Some of them have trees growing out mm. the roofs of them. And we have a housing crisis. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, there's 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 some idea that well, why keep building all this new stuff? Why not regenerate the old stuff? Absolutely. And when I spoke to Frank and Jude, it was on foot of a Twitter thread they had set up showing so many. And when you see them all in a line, you 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 are brought up short that there are so many vacant properties within the city. I suppose the point they were making, I'd agree with, is that that shows where everything kind of intersects. You have housing, you have property, obviously you have legal issues and insurance issues, you have the homelessness crisis. So it kind of crystallises a lot of the challenges we're facing and it shows just how difficult it is. And I suppose something I took out of that conversation I tried to get across in the piece is that there are so many moving parts in this that it's very difficult uh, to find somebody who can actually pull all those threads together. Um, You know, I I don't think that person is in... City Council, I'm not sure if they're in the Department of the Environment, but because you have so many different interest groups, invested interests involved, it's very difficult to say to somebody, look, you have the overall power, can you address this and set us on the right path? Mm. What what would you suggest? I, like I said, you're not an architect, you're not an engineer, neither am I. We're both Corkmen, we both love our city. I like I like modern stuff, but I understand that a lot of people don't. I love modernising old buildings and putting new flashy things inside the old facades. What do we do? How do we, how do we continue to keep Cork as beautiful as it is and modernise it at the same time? Well, I mean, to me, an obvious uh path will be to visit cities in Europe who have done that properly, who yeah. it's accepted. Now, again, I'm not a seasoned world traveller. I'm not sure if that's Copenhagen or Amsterdam or Rome or Paris. And I'm quite sure if you went there, they, you know, depending on who would speak, to say, oh, well, we have a terrible problem with X, Y and Z and it's terrible. And even though we're walking on these places, we're on holidays saying they're like heaven on earth. But I would certainly think to go somewhere where it's being done properly, maybe that's Berlin, as I say, maybe yeah. it's Budapest, and say, meet the people there. And if that city council saying, look, we're taking money out of the budget, we're sending an engineer, an architect, a planner, and a city councillor over to... Do See this. how it's done. That's, that's fine. But come back. Come back then and make a presentation. Say, we visited City X. Here's what they learned. Here are the pitfalls they avoided when they were integrating old and new, when they were renovating, you know, derelict houses, when they were addressing their homeless crisis, etc. And now, 
whether that's something like I do know in Barcelona, for instance, they're cracking down on Airbnb to create a better city experience, for yeah. instance. But again, then you start running into trouble, as you know well then, Peter, because you're talking about the legal matters. Do you need legislation for that? And the fact that a lot of cities in Ireland, cities in Ireland compared to particularly cities in America and also cities in Europe, don't have that autonomy. Yeah. And, if, you know, to really legislate within the city, the city boundaries. So that's, that's another moving part that has yeah. to be considered. And sometimes I think it can be frustrating. But look, I think at least if we're having a conversation about it, it's some kind of a step on the right road. Indeed. All right, Mike, and we're having that conversation and glad to have you part of it. That's Mike Moynihan from the Irish Examiner. 1850-715-996. Actually, the, the, the city of Palma, one of my favourite cities, comes to mind. Because if you know Palma, if you've been to it, there are loads. Palma's an ancient city. But there are loads of really modern shops and offices and hotels and businesses inside ancient facades ancient facades that have been kept looking as ancient as they were but inside them they're magnificent modern buildings if we could do that around town wouldn't it be grand 1850 on the subject of McCurtain Street Sean good morning uh, hi to you, Jen. this hi. is the one happening in front of our very eyes at the moment that these kind of Lego brick footpaths I can't find are they permanent or temporary I'm not too sure but it concerns you a bit yeah, well, there was on a, a, a schematic of it yesterday in the Echo, and it's basically reducing that street to a, to a, a boring. Yeah. And two pages on, it was um, an article about problems the bus system is having with congestion. They're getting lots of complaints. And you wonder, is anyone joining the dots that we're shriveling up all our main arteries mm. and the buses are fighting for space with everybody, with everyone else? I think the but plan from They're trying to do street. more with less. Really, you know? I think the plan from McCurtain Street, though, if I've read it right, and I know Oliver Moran and I spoke about it from the Green Party, spoke about it during the summer. The ideal situation for McCurtain Street is that you'll actually take any traffic out of it that doesn't need to be there. Yeah. For which it's the only alternative to be there. You'll take well, it out, we'll, and, and that leaves the problem. That leaves, um, it doesn't even leave a bus lane, it leaves two lanes. God forbid a bus breaks down. Not to mention once there, there isn't even a bus stop, much less a bus lane. They took away the bus lane, and the yes. bus stop is part of the roadscape. So the bus stops to pick up passengers. The entire city comes to a halt. But if it breaks down, God only knows. And there is no, there is no traffic to go anywhere. We haven't done a, a Boston on it with the big dig, unless I missed, unless I'm missing the news. Yeah. We haven't gone underground or overground. Yeah. So it is what it is. The traffic has nowhere else to go. Isn't it part They're of the... Jo- avoiding town in their droves at the moment anyway, but what yeah. it doesn't take much to gum it up. And then anything happens on the link. You see it last year, any little episode anywhere, and, and things come to a standstill. Yeah. Isn't we it- keep hearing we're Europe, but we're not Europe. We're Ireland. Europe has 340 million people within range of any city, so they will have more traffic and they can deal with the high transit very rapid transit systems, whatnot. Middle but, but, winter hang, on now, hang on now, Sean. You yeah. see, that's, I have a bit of a problem with an argument like that because you look at other cities. There are cities that are the same size as Cork, right? Yeah, but they're and they in do European things. landmass, PJ. They're not, they're not in Ireland. We're in a small little island out in the west of But Norway. let's not, no, let, let's stop considering ourselves to be second class. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we're not part of a, a major landmass. We're not part of Europe. Europe, if you pick any city in the middle of Europe, they have 340, 350 million people within 
within uh, a day's journey. We we don't have that kind of circulation, that kind of flow. Right. In the middle but, of winter, we might have 350 people coming into Cork, much less 350. I'm not saying they all come into the one city in yeah, Europe. Places like Malta seem to sort it out. Malta have seemed to sort it out with their traffic. Sicily. Well, they have the historic core, but everywhere else has a decent road system. They work with their... Yeah. This is the conversation it. I was kind of having with Mike. I'm a great believer in, in modern things and doing things in modern way, but I also love to see character maintained, and if you can make the two work together. But what yeah. I do hear of, every time you get a, a proposal like, say, McCorton Street, yeah. straight away you people, we, on the one side you people think, now this will modernise it, and it'll be a wonderful European thoroughfare, like dozens of thoroughfares in dozens of other European in modern Europe, and then we've other people going, but you can't do that. We're Ireland. Well, we're different. No, we're not. These are not for poo-pooing everything, but uh, within reason. But we had the bike lanes was the next big thing. Then the bus lanes. Now that's gone. They're gone now on the country for so many reasons. Uh, and now the big thing now, the group thinking city hall is Alfresco joining. Alfresco joining. That's it. The whole. That's all they think about now. And it's so they're taking away any bit of space, any street. It's fine in the in the pedestrianised areas. Oliver Plunkett Street or on Paul Street, put the canopy up. It could work in certain areas, but the main arteries of the city, Washington Street, South Mall, McCurtain Street, they're all major thoroughfares. They need to be kept open. You can't clog them up. Yeah, mm. have your... Have, ha, your, have you uh, looked at the plan in, from McCurtain Street? In the right Street, location, though. but not have, everywhere. Have you looked at the plan from McCurtain Street? Well, I've, I told you, the, the, the Echo and Lister were publishing something else it was on yesterday, yeah. and it is a laneway, a two-way laneway. Yeah, but how they how they intend to divert stuff away that isn't that doesn't need to be there? Where are they sending it to? Like, you know the city better than I do. Are they sending it to Ballincollig or something? No. Up Patrick's Hill? Actually, up, Pat- up Patrick's Hill, yes. That would be part so of that's it. that's another bottleneck. You have just nothing but pinch points. They'll just move the traffic on what few people are left going into town. Some of them, most people at this stage are going to go in if they have to. So what would you do? Well, I keep the wide streets open. I keep the main arteries open and then pick your spots for this alfresco. Like, the, they have a perfect spot for outside the city library, but it's a ghost town. That's a perfect area. Have that been reconfigured? Maybe well, tied with on. the English market. There was, there's your, yeah. there's your dining. There aren't that many restaurants outside the city library. So Hang on, if you were to do that, the food to be frozen cold before it gets well, out of the table. Done. So they put the wrong thing in the wrong location. Now they're doing the same thing again. The same with the coal key, another place you could you could rent space there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just deserted. They just, they're banging on. And then the thing they should have done first, which was knock the walls in City Park and Bishop Lucy Park and open that up and throw a few more benches down. They're, they're now putting in for some kind of planning for that. That should have been maybe the first thing they do. Always they get to the thing they should do first, they do last. But that's not just in town, even out of town. There's public transport. They they pay, and I'm all for it. I've been abroad as much as you have, and I'll travel public transport all the way, but it's not feasible here. They put up, I've seen their thousand estates now going in in Mayfield. There's one up in Maryborough Hill, 450 homes. Yeah. That'll be 900 cars coming out onto a country road. They have listed that there will be. Maryborough Hill, by the way, Sean, has got probably one of the best bus services in Ireland. Yeah, it doesn't have a bus shelter. Too very well. Well, I know that. You could do with some shelters, agreed. You could do with some shelters. But it's extremely well served with public transport. 
Yeah, finally. But this this new this new um, housing estate with nine hundred cars, it's called. They have this new term now. What does it mean if somebody can come on and explain? Public service connectivity. Yeah. So you can, in yeah. other words, you what? You walk to the bus. It's a mile yeah. away. Well, you know, ideally it, could, it wouldn't be a mile, but yeah. People well, walk to the bus around the world. Well, it's close by. It's almost a kilometre. The last house in the estate is nearly a kilometre from the bus stop. Then, they, of course, you yeah. can't blame all the planners because the residents, they were going to run the bus through and there was complaints with that. You but sound like a man doesn't please easily. Well, a little bit of forward planning. You sound like a man doesn't easily. Yeah, we can forward plan here for the most inane thing. We're going to have a minister for individually wrapped straws before we know it. But we can't run a bus service or a bus stop, you know? <laughs> Sean, you know what? Even in the height, that's why I love this doing this programme, even in the height of an argument, a caller can make me laugh. We're going to have a minister for individually wrapped straws, but we won't have public transport. But then again, I would say to you, all over the world, people walk to public transport. Yeah, but could they just make it that bit easier here? I, like I said, that, that's... It's layout the housing estates with a road wide enough. You can get a bus service through it. Yes. With a oh, yeah. Covered bus but stop, then you have to get then you have to get the National water, Transport Authority and persuade what? them to get the bus. You have to get get onto the National uh, Transport Authority and they'll put the bus up there for you. Uh, because we discovered this with the two twenty, there was an estate at the end of the two twenty route in Ballincollig that if they had one more bus stop, everyone could land in the estate. They nearly had to go on their bended knees to the National Transport Authority to get the stop put in. Now it's put yeah. in as one of the busiest stops in Cork. I know, but you see, like this is the lunacy in this country. We could shut down an entire county because somebody sneezes in lockdown, and yet we can't add a bus stop or put a bus service through. We can't build a straight road. Everything is tinkering. I, I look forward for your entry to politics, Sean. I really do, because it sounds what? like you have all the answers. I look forward to your entry to politics, because I think it's, it sounds like you have a lot of answers to give. Great conversation. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. You're listening to Highlights from the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. To hear the full show, download the podcast from iTunes or see 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96FM. 1850-715-996 is the number to call. The text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. The email opinion at 96fm.ie. The tweet is at opinionline96 with the hashtag OL96. And if you want to contact us through Facebook right across the weekend, you can do that. Go to the Cork's 96FM Facebook page, send us a message and mark it, if you would, please, for the attention of the opinion line. I want to talk to Joanna Donnelly, uh, weather forecaster from the RTE Weather, who was the subject of a fascinating and heartbreaking article in the papers during the week. Um, And we've talked many times on this programme about miscarriages. Uh, I've spoke to quite a number of people who've been through several miscarriages. But I think, Joanna, when people, when it comes in the form of, the story comes in the form of someone that they see on the television or hear on the radio many times a week, it, it tends to sit and people sit up and listen a little bit more. Uh, good morning to you. Good morning. Lovely to talk to you. Seven, <laughs> seven miscarriages. Yeah, I, actually, um, on the day the article came out, I came home and my uh, said to my husband, oh, yeah, that article there. And the headline screams 
seven miscarriages. And even Harm, my husband, who was there with me, said, seven. <laughs> so long ago at this point that, you know, it, it, it's part of our life history. But yeah, at the time it was, oh my God, so devastating. It seems unreal that that could have happened. But yeah, at the time it was, it was devastating. Now you have... Uh, three children, Nikki's 17, Tobias is 12 and Casper is 10. So everything went okay in the end and there was IVF involved in all of that. But but initially, it, it had an awful effect on you mentally, I imagine. It, it certainly did. And probably on the people around me too, because I wasn't exactly the most pleasant person to live with while this was all happening. Um, I had great support from friends that I had met going through similar and so for me, it was nice to know that I wasn't completely alone. I think often it, it, it's very hard to go through this sort of thing, especially when you're, you feel like you're alone and you're the only person in the world that this is happening to. But it's incredibly common. And I've already this week had emails and texts and messages from a lot of people that feel that the story resonated with them yeah. and it's helpful for them to know that there are lots of people going through this same thing we don't necessarily talk about it openly a lot but there are a lot of people out there going through this and yeah. worse and a lot worse some of the stories i've been sent this week would just really break your heart now, I've spoken to people, many people, who struggled to have a child for many, many years. But you had had Nikki, and then it was to have a second child was a problem. You you already yeah. had Nikki. That that was yeah. a very strange form of infertility, wasn't it, Joanna? It's actually as common, if not more common, than infertility. Yeah, Perfect. secondary infertility, the struggle to have a second or subsequent pregnancy, or even a third or fourth pregnancy. You you're it's not as common. You you don't. It's not as visible, I suppose, yeah. because there is a child there. So you assume that but this person um, can have children. Yeah. yeah, and that the choice is there not to have a second child or, or, or whatever is the reason. But um, actually, secondary infertility is incredibly common. It's, uh, um, as my gynecologist at the time said to me, pregnancy can break you or it can fix you. So in my case, pregnancy broke me and then it fixed me. So yeah, having Tob Tobias kicked everything off and then we, we had Casper naturally. So. Yeah, it, it was after... I think it was the most interesting element when I was reading through the article. Like you had Nikki first, and then it went. And I, so, so second, you call it secondary infertility. Secondary infertility. Yeah, yeah. And mm. um, I don't. I almost. I think as common as primary infertility. Yeah, it's just not as visible. I think, and and it takes a lot of people by surprise as well because the expectation there that everything is okay, everything is working. And it's really not taken quite as quickly seriously, although the whole idea of, of infertility being taken um, as a serious medical condition, I think has moved on a lot in, in, in recent times. So after all those miscarriages, you still naturally wanted to have a, a second child. You turned to technology, as it were. Medicine. Yeah. I turned to medicine. Yeah, yeah, being a scientist, I had the faith in medicine. And um, I quickly went along to the doctor when I realized that the 
the scientific approach wasn't working and there was something up. So we went along and um, we went straight to Clomid, which is the first port of call for people that are um, struggling to conceive. And it's just a medicine. It's highly uninvasive. It's very simple and straightforward, very common and popular treatments for infertility. Um, then IUI and then finally to IVF. The idea that IVF is a choice for people to decide to delay parenting or, you know, that they want a designer baby, all those crazy things that come with people's opinion of IVF. It's a medical treatment for a medical condition and um, for us, it was the next step after having tried um, other methods. I would would like to think, Joanna, that that silly attitude to IVF was no longer with us, but it is, isn't it? It, it, in some walks, I think in people that just don't understand the uh, the concept of the medical process involved. But uh, hopefully that's becoming less of an issue as we move into the yeah. 21st century. It's a very expensive process. It is. That's a problem too. Um, and not covered by private insurance, which is really a problem. Um, it's very, very difficult to understand that why that is the case where you pay for medical insurance and then it's not covered on your medical insurance. And because it's not covered on your medical insurance, it makes it kind of a little bit easier for the the, the government. Also, I'm not going to criticise the government. I know they're working on this, but um, yeah. we need the medical treatment for this medical condition to be a part of the whole medicine in um both private and in public health because in correct me if i'm wrong every health insurance package that a woman buys whether she intends to have children or not has a maternity element in it which of course adds to the premium so you've got maternity cover in your insurance but actually something like ivf to help you have that actual baby is not covered well, not only IVF isn't covered, any process um, that's involved in the reproduction isn't covered. So if you need a laparoscopy because you have um, medical problems with your um, innards, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> any sort, you know, um, it doesn't necessarily mean uh, reproduction problems. Um, that's covered by your medical insurance. But if you need a laparoscopy to explore why you're not becoming pregnant, that's not covered by your private insurance because it's about reproduction, which doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. I'd love an insurance company to come on and correct me about that now because I might have old-fashioned data and I'd love to be corrected. Yeah, so um, so going to see your gynecologist, for example, is not covered under your uh, medical insurance. If it's for reproduction. Right. Because it is covered if you have, obviously, if you have... um, other issues that isn't related, that aren't related to um, that. That sounds awfully like old Ireland still holding on to the past. It, 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 I'm it's sorry, not that... just Ireland. It's it's not just Ireland. It's uh, it's an issue elsewhere as well. Although other countries and almost every other country now at this point in time do cover IVF um, under their public health insurance policy. Right. Okay. That's interesting. So, so eventually. Tobias was was born after IVF, great success, great happiness all around. And then you, did it did it repair itself again? Then were you able to have your third child naturally? Yeah, I was terribly greedy. Even though I already had two children, I still wanted another one. 
I wasn't, I didn't feel my family was complete. I wanted three children. Um, I probably would have wanted four if I'd had time, but I wanted three children anyway. And um, the idea, the plan was that we were going to need IVF again. I assumed we were going to need IVF again, but then Tobias or Casper obliged and came naturally. And we had that. Was that a desperately nervous nine months? Um, it wasn't desperately nervous nine months. It was, dead. and I wasn't even nervous in the beginning because I just assumed that I was going to lose them. So I didn't even, I didn't even think, oh, I'm having a, another baby because I assumed that I was going to lose that baby, um, Casper. So it was only after I was, you know, several weeks pregnant that I thought, well, actually, this <laughs> this pregnancy might actually hold, and it did. Yeah. yeah, it did. Yeah. <sighs> Now, the charity Pomegranate, I know we talked about it before, uh, the charity that you set up with, with your husband, Harm. Um, and it's to do with the cost of IVF, isn't it? Yeah, I'm going to correct you there, though. I set it up with my friend, Fiona MacPhillips. Uh, Fiona MacPhillips was my, my rock going through infertility. We were both going through exactly the same okay. situation. She also had a child naturally and struggled with secondary infertility. So it was Fiona MacPhillips and I that got together okay. and ran, uh, set up Pomegranate. I, after falling pregnant naturally and expecting to need IVF, um, I had the money there to have IVF. And I said to Harm, well, this isn't fair. You know, we, we could have IVF. But what about the people that can't, that haven't got that? money there to fall back on they're going through all of this pain and suffering and in, oh, I couldn't contemplate it um, but at least we could access the medicine and they can't access the medicine so I, I couldn't live with that so I wanted to help somebody going through that and um, so I, I actually didn't want to set up a charity I don't think anybody actually <laughs> intends to put themselves yeah. through that um, I wanted to give somebody money but um, I, there wasn't a charity there helping anybody. So Fiona said, well, I want to do it too. I want to help as well. So um, we went to the clinic that we had had treatment with and I asked them, who do I give this money to to help somebody? And they said, well, there isn't anybody helping anybody. Um, mm. So we said, oh, okay. It would be better for us to set up a charity to help somebody than to just hand over the money um, to the clinic. So that's what we did. We set up a charity. Our initial intention to help one couple a year um, and we ended up getting other people to help us help more and it, it, it was quite successful. Right, it is yeah. quite successful. Ten years this year actually running. Yeah. And a great initiative and by, by all accounts. And how much, I should have asked you this earlier on, how much is it for a round of IVF? Well, it will vary depending on what uh, treatment you need and it will vary depending on what clinic you go to. So, But you're talking in the region, uh, this is when you actually get to IVF because you've already spent a lot of money. Remember, you've gone to the gynecologist, you've tried Clomid, you've tried IUI, you've tried uh, all the various stuff along the way. So you've quite possibly depleted all your savings at this point. Um but then it's about about five thousand up to seven thousand. Could be more if you need a donor egg or a donor semen a sperm. So it can it can add up to a, a, a lifetime of saving for some. Yeah, I'm intrigued by the name. Where did that come from? Pomegranate. Pomegranate. You know the wine apple. You're familiar with the wine apple that we get at um, uh, uh, Halloween time. Yeah. 
It's a, the, the pomegranate. Oh, yeah, I know, yeah, I, I know the, when, the pomegranate yeah, is a fruit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, when you break it open, it's full of little seeds. Ah. And all, all those little seeds, they're the, the symbol of fertility. Um, right. So we, we, we I, I think I, I, it was actually Fiona's came up with that, and um, I love that name. Yeah, it, it it's nice, it's lovely. And to see the, the logo. Joanna, it's a pleasure to talk to you. And uh, if anybody wants to donate to Pomegranate, uh, the information is all out there, pomegranate.ie. They can donate directly to your bank account. They need PayPal to do it. Uh, but it's, it's a great idea because, like you say, uh, this kind of treatment should not just be uh, available to, to rich people. Uh, it should be available to anyone, and particularly to people who can go and pay for health insurance, should be able to have it on their health insurance, and it should be available through the through the public sector as well. Thank you. Cheers, Joanna. Take care. 1850-715-996. There's a poem by Ivan Boland called The Pomegranate. A lot of people would have studied that in school. I think there was a movie as well about a, a pregnant woman called Pomegranate. I, I, just bear with me. The brain is, it's Friday. But I think there is either a movie or a television drama or something about a, a, a woman and pregnancy and all of that. And I think it's called Pomegranate. 1850 D says there's lots of only children out there who don't have a sibling because their parents couldn't have a second one. I'm one of them. Part of it is because people assume you can go again if you've had one and leave it too late to get your treatment. My name is Janice, says a WhatsApp message. I attended the fertility clinic out in CUH. They scan you in early pregnancy. It's so hurtful. And now since March, my appointment was to start tomorrow, start treatment rather, was cancelled. They rang the other day to say they don't know when it will be up and running. It's heartbreaking for me. Sad I don't have the money to get IVF privately. I tried for a loan and everything, but I can't get the money. I feel my chances are dropping every day. I know I'm not the only one in that position, but it's horrible that you can get treatment privately now, but not publicly. Thank you, Janice. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Sounds like pomegranate might be a starting a starting point for you. Pomegranate.ie. They help sounds like they help people just like you. On um, my conver- my conver- conversation, sorry, with uh, with 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 Sean just before 11. Uh, he definitely got the line of the week. We'll have a minister for individually wrapped straws, but we won't have a proper public transport system uh on redesigning Cork. Why don't why they're at while they're at it? Why doesn't Cork City Council allow the Turkish barbers who are springing up like mushrooms around the place, put their chairs on the street. Bazar al fresco. I love it. It wouldn't be fair to come to the end of the week uh, without touching base again with the story that uh, dominated the middle of the week for us, and that was the story of the two lads, uh, the Walshes, out uh, in... Near near Blarney, that's all we're saying. Near Blarney, out in the country, living in a decrepit, rotten tumble-down, stinking old bus at the edge of a river and dreading the winter, afraid, so afraid of what lies ahead for the winter. Let's remind us again of my conversation with them a couple of days ago. You're 25 years homeless. 25 years homeless. And they told me, don't come back no more. I said, we'll contact you. They got fed up with me calling. Right. And I went down to City Hall, I was talking to a few women around the table. And they'll try to do the best they can, and it's in no good. Tell me what it's like living here in this old bus. It's, it's horrible. It is horrible. 
You know what I mean? No, no coming into winter or f***ing hell. Yeah. You just want out of it? Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, it's a joke. Yeah. And I'm a sick man, like, I fell off a bridge over in Wales. How do, how do you manage? I don't know, we just barely survive. It's cost us more now and these to keep the two, the bands, two bands going. Yeah. Bringing in the grub, it can only bring two days already to gone off. The mix has gone off every morning. Look at this server, like, yeah, yeah. it's a joke. Now that uh, story made the newspaper, made the sun, made the mirror, made uh, breaking news, made a couple of other different news outlets, was picked up and brought onto the floor of the doll by West Cork TD Holly Cairns. An ongoing horrific case in Cork has shown what happens when this basic infrastructure is not put in place. A father and son who've been living in an abandoned bus since being evicted from their one-bedroom apartment. Patrick Walsh is caring for his son Adrian who suffered a brain injury after an accident. Patrick has to stay with Adrian as he suffers from blackouts. They fitted the bus out with a small kitchen and beds. They've been living there for four years without running water, electricity or a toilet. State authorities and the council are aware of the situation. I'd love it if you could just intervene immediately in that situation. No. Uh, let's bring, bring, bring Deirdre in on this because we, we, a lot of leg, a leg work still being done off the air do you, over the last couple of days. Yeah, an awful lot of this is taking place off the air, PJ, because um, the people who are helping the Walshes, most of them are precluded from speaking on air by yeah. nature of their jobs. Um, the City Council obviously won't engage with us in the matter of a personal case, so we've had to kind of go some circuitous routes to that and other people have been getting some information for us. Um, basically what's happening here is that the City Council are saying that the Walshes are not actually officially in the system um, now they, again they haven't said this to us but they've said this to, to a third party who has been interceding on their behalf uh, they've said that they're not actually in the homeless system per se because Adrian previously was a City Council tenant and he was evicted because of built up arrears um, this is pre-Adrian's head injury so the Adrian then and the Adrian now are two completely different people. Mm -hmm. Adrian now is a very sick man. He is not mentally well. He has memory loss. He is incontinent. He is um, not capable of following rules or of understanding rules. Legally, I don't think Adrian would have capacity to be held responsible for his own rent. He has an acquired um, brain injury. He has an acquired brain injury a and everything a serious goes with one. that. Yeah. yeah, so people may have felt that he sounded drunk maybe in the previous that's recording the and that's it, the nature yeah. of it. So the Adrian who built up a rear and was legally responsible for maintaining his own property with the City Council many years ago before his head injury is not the same person that we are dealing with now but it doesn't appear that there is any provision for that within the um, system. So what the City Council have told these people who have been advocating on, the, on their behalf is that Adrian needs Adrian and Patrick need to represent to homeless services and get on the, the housing list which they are not currently on. Mm. Um, now from what Patrick told you he had understood from his dealings with the council that they were on a list and that they were their case was mm. in some kind of system it's they not. were affected by the border transfer weren't they no we thought they were they weren't okay um, the, the confusion here arises because the people who are helping them um, are, are in the county and thought that they were dealing with the county council but of course Patrick and Adrian both originated in the city so their record is in the city their file is in the city <sighs> and of course the area they're in is now in the city as well. Yeah. So there was no difficulty with the transfer. When the advocates dealing with them got onto the county council, the county council said we don't have a file for them and they thought that it had been lost in the move. It wasn't. It remains with the city council but currently there is no, technically there is no file open on them in the housing directorate right. because they are not in the system. So 
while Patrick believed that they were in the system, they're not. They don't have an open case. They are not counted as on the numbers of people waiting for housing because they are not, they have not officially applied to be on that list. The reason they haven't applied to be on that list, um, as I understand it from from a number of sources that have come to us about this, is that um, they previously, I think, have both lived in homeless shelters. I'm not sure of the situation of Patrick. This is Adrian's file that we're getting this information from. Adrian was evicted from a city council property um, after that, he did live in um, at least one homeless shelter in the city. I think there was more than one. But he has been kicked out of those because he is unable to follow the rules. Mm. Um, and that is not an issue of antisocial behaviour. It's not an issue it's of an unwillingness. It's an illness. It's a, it's a, it's a brain injury. Um, but obviously, homeless shelters are over capacity. They're, um, they, they don't have the resources to deal with somebody in that mm. situation. You, you couldn't, for your, is that, you couldn't put poor old Adrian into the nightlight. No, he couldn't deal with it. No, he can't sleep on a floor with a whole load of other people because he doesn't know where he is some of the time and yeah. he's incontinent. Adrian and Patrick, what they need is their own front door where Patrick can care for Adrian in a contained setup with support from Headway, which they are already getting, probably something from St. Vincent de Paul, which they are already getting. Um, but the system doesn't actually allow for that. Um, the advocate that I've been dealing with for them has been saying that, and this, by the way, is just a volunteer with with the charity who is giving off his own free time to look after them. There is no official state advocate for mm. them. These, these are people, ordinary people, trying to figure, navigate this. Um, this person has said to me that they have tried dealing with, tried to get them HAP, for example, but again, I don't think you can get HAP without going through all these other um, loopholes no. or all these, sorry, all these other steps along the way. So they don't have HAP yet. Now, the only thing is about HAP, you have to find a landlord who's willing to rent to you. Yes, and that is going to be a problem for Adrian because of his capacity issues um, they're probably not the ideal tenants for somebody mm. um, realistically but I think for people who understand the situation um, you know they would be very well supported and that is I suppose one of the options that is open to them so They are supported by Headway and Headway yeah. do incredible work and yeah. can do fantastic things under the right circumstances circumstances don't pertain here. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, people may, some people listening may be familiar with Headway, I suppose. Our listeners may be familiar with them because the last time we dealt with Headway on the show was of the case of Veronica and Phil up in the Glen. Yes. Phil, who has sadly passed away, was a client of Headway. And that's how we came across their case as well. So they, they have done phenomenal work with people and they continue to do that. But in this situation, it's almost impossible for them to give any real meaningful support. Um, at the moment, they are living in the bus. Um, say, for example, there's a number of different charities in Blarney and in the surrounding area dealing with them. Um, one of the charities is Blarney Care of the Aged. I have put those details up on my DSHOCKS Facebook page because a number of people did ask about donating funds to help them. Um, now, money in many ways isn't really the, at the moment, mm. might not be the solution here. Um, but you can donate to Blarney Care of the Aged. The bank details are there on Facebook. Um, and you can um, put Walsh's in the narration and it'll get to them directly and make sure that it looks after their needs. But for example, they were getting meals on wheels but they were no good to them because they have no way of heating up food. Yeah. Um, so at the moment, the advocate that I've been dealing with says the ideal solution is a house. Failing that, a mobile home with facilities where they could wash, have toilet facilities and heat. These are very small this is a small ask, you know. Yeah. Um, the site that they are on currently is not really suitable. The landowner has been very kind and very accommodating, but it's it's just not really It has no utilities. Site. They're generating no. power. Again, to remind people, they generate a little bit of power to light the bus, run a telly, and maybe do a little bit, a small, tiny bit of heating and boiling water. Yeah. They, they start up the van 
and off the van, off the battery of the van, they run a, th- a, a, a tiny thing called an inverter, which they've connected into the bus, which gives them enough power to watch a bit of telly, keep it light on. That's as much as they have. Yeah, so they've they've very, very poor facilities where they are. This advocate that I've been speaking to says, look, if we can find a site, we can set them up with a proper mobile home. That's the very basic ask here. If someone listening has a site that might be appropriate where these people will be supported and helped um, to live independently on it, um, please do contact us and we will put you in touch with the advocate. Failing that, if somebody, or, or better than that ideally, is a house or an apartment that is available and that they could rent. They would be supported initially in that rent by the charities that are dealing with them. Mm. And um, the hope is that they would get HAP eventually. Um, but that's, again, jumping through a lot of hoops. And there is there is help there as well, good qualified help for Adrian's issues yeah. to help him transition. Yeah, absolutely. You know? But I suppose, you know, nobody could be could be assisted to live in a, in a falling down no, house. Like, that's no, just not not um, no. a situation people can live in. Um, this person said to me, we are getting all the reasons in the world why they cannot be helped between being told the file is missing, Adrian left debts, not registered in HAP, city council to county council, etc, etc. We tried to differentiate between the old Adrian who did leave debts to the current Adrian who cannot function on his own, is incontinent and is struggling with a really bad head injury from which he will never recover. There are umpteen, and this is the thing that every single listener who contacted us said, there are umpteen empty houses in Cork and we need to get them into one of them before winter kicks in as they will not survive another winter where they are at present. SVP is supplying them with weekly hampers and bottles of gas and the people in Headway are trying their level best with the council while also providing help to Adrian but the solution lies with the council, city or county to provide them with proper housing. They argue this person says that there are loads of people looking for housing but most if not all of them are applying from their current house and not from a rat infested derelict minibus. Now that being said, I spoke to um, somebody involved with the council. Now, not a council official; they're not allowed to talk to us. Um, but I spoke to somebody who who, who knows how this works, uh, who said that actually at the moment the voids are being turned around very quickly. There has been new energy. They said since the pandemic in actually getting people into housing, and mm. that's it. That system is working. He said probably better than it has for a long time. There is a will in there in the city council. He said, and there is an energy in there to actually get people sorted. But unfortunately, this case, like when when you hear that they've been told the file was made that's not the case. They've been told Adrian left debts. We know that's true, but there are circumstances around that. They're not registered in HAP. Again, we know that's true, but why can't that process be expedited? Uh, city Council to County Council. They were never with the City Council. That's not an issue, I think. I'm not sure where that confusion arose. County Council, you mean? Yeah, oh, sorry, they were never with the County Council. So there's a lot of confusion, but this it seems to boil down to their... It, their city council clients they're not officially in the system because the system doesn't actually work for them can we figure out a way around it um, and we have had help from Councillor Kieran McCarthy about this we have had help from both of the charities but this is where we're at so if there is somebody listening who has a site who has a house that might be available to rent an apartment that might be available to rent or even a site with a mobile home or a caravan on it that has actually electricity mm. any of those things would be a huge in fact, that's what one of the things Adrian said to me in the course of the interview. He said, all we want is a bit of running water, a shower and, a, and electricity. Yeah, That's all they want. And in fact, having spent maybe half an hour in their presence, like here are two people, um, father and son, who love the bones of each other, right? And they seem to have a great relationship. They're like two old pals. And all they want is just a start yeah. A start. Yeah. I don't want to be here, or you don't, certainly don't want to be here in a couple of months reporting more homeless deaths. No. And we don't usually hear about these cases at this point. We usually hear about them afterwards. The next flood, and I will say this, having been where they are, the next time I hear of a flood, I will, 
I will have a lump in my throat. Fear of these two men. Yeah, That's a fact. so hopefully somebody listening, PJ, can come up with some kind of assistance for them. Um, if it is a case that we can find a site, the advocate that I've spoken to says they would be open to setting up a GoFundMe. Now, they had actually said they, they would try and fund the mobile home themselves. Um, there is a way that other people can help. Mm. If, if we can get the site with services, there is a, a way that other people can jump in and help okay. with that. And we will keep people posted if that happens. But if you're listening and you have any way of helping at all that I've outlined, please do give us a shout, 1850 just get them a start. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the indoor self-service laundrette. Now at the Junction Vickers Road. Open every day to save you time and money. Selfservicelaundry.ie This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996 On Cork's 96FM. There's an interesting piece of wisdom. The great Paolo Maldini said, if I have to make a tackle, it means I've already made a mistake. In the situation of these citizens, mistakes have been made. Is it not time the powers that be were proactive rather than preventative? Lots of obstacles with no route to an end product. Kevin says a housing officer needs to go to them with the forms and fill them. Once they qualify for HAP, they can rent something. Yeah, I would strongly agree with that Kevin they they need someone to sit down with all the forms all the paperwork and just get it sorted for them they've got so much difficulty in dealing with their own situation that filling out forms and and working with officialdom is not something that, that that is easy for them at all they certainly need that kind of help We'll follow this story as long as it requires following. 1850-715-996. Now, if I had to ask you where Hewitt Mills was, would you know? I had to guess, and I was right. It's in Blackpool, and if you, do you remember where Extravision was? Yeah. Well, up behind that, there was an old kind of a red brick sort of brownstone, very old place. That's Hewitt's Mills. And it's in the news again. Councillor McNugent, good morning. Uh, good morning, PJ. Why is Hewitt Smills in in the uh, in the news, and and why is what is concerning you about it? Well, there seems to be a planning application um, for the site. I just got alerted to, to the other day. It seems to be over two hundred, uh, two hundred and twenty-six. I think um, two hundred twenty-nine actually apartments uh, for the site, and it's at a pre-application. Um, Stasis at the moment, so it'll be whoever's developing it will be engaging with Ambor Panala, kind of at a pre-approval stage, and then if that's approved, it goes on to Bor Panala for con- uh, consideration. So under new, yeah, 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 and it bypasses the, um, the city council. Anything over hundred units can bypass the city council, so it'll be fast tracked, mm. kind oh. of as part of the strategic. Um, housing development, so... To be welcomed, I would imagine. Well, look, you know, it's 229 apartments, uh, you know, it could be an option. And there's apartments nearby as well, actually, just on that um, Blackpool bypass as well. So it could be an option for um, for people, you know, whether, what the cost of them. Uh, we don't have a lot of details just yet. I'm, going, um, I'm on the city council to see can local councillors get to sit down and go through the plans and see how they'll affect... Um, I suppose the local area, you know, will there be parking there? And 
even the building itself, uh, PJ, and I was looking around as well yesterday online just to kind of uh, to find there's a lot of history actually attached to the building and, nice. and the site. A lot of associated buildings, it seems, were actually knocked um, when the new road was, 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 uh, was going through there. But I'd wonder about the existing uh, building, which is, which is what's left. It's a bonded warehouse. Um, it was the site of a farmer uh, distillery mm. water, on Warcross Road. And I think up to the 70s, it was actually, it was actually, it was walking away there. Um, and I think the company moved lock, stock and barrel down to Middleton. So there's a lot of history with the site and then, and the wider area. Is it preserved in any way, do you know? That's, yeah, that's what we need um, that's what we need to find out. I've talked to someone in the council um, yesterday about it, so, um, we, you know, we need to find out, actually, because, you know, in terms of will it be maintained, you know, it's a big enough building, a big enough site there, but is it big enough for 229 apartments? I'd wonder, like, will they be going down? Like, the buildings nearby have, I think, have underground parking, so we'd have to, just have to get more detail on it. Um and it's PJ to be honest with you. Mm. Housing plans of any kind are very much needed. Absolutely, and I was listening to you, you know, you were talking about that, that and a couple of lads in Blarney and yeah. like definitely is, you know, but well, I suppose here they call it a build to rent scheme, so whoever built it could actually flip it as they say, it could go on to a private investor and apartments will be rented out, so might be out of the reach of some people. No, 10% of that 229 apartments will be for social housing, you know, so, you know, there will be something there. Um, so you'd wonder, yeah, you'd wonder, PJ, would it, you know, would it be something that, I suppose, ordinary and ordinary people can, will be able to afford? I'm not sure, like, you know. Mm. It sounds to me, Mick, like you have an, uh, you have the germ of an of an objection in your head, but you don't quite know what the objection is. Uh, look, I suppose we need to sit down with the council. Um, I wouldn't be saying straight away, look, you know, this is something that we we'd be opposed to. It. Um, it does not have a lot of residential close by to it. You know, you have apartments nearby, and that. And look, it could be an option for some people. There will be some social housing there. Um, I think we just need to see the plans, PJ, and definitely, you know, the site, the parking, and um, how how would that play out there? Yeah, like, like, you know, there will. I've no doubt that there'll be a market for them because people need places to live. Just come back for a second to to Patrick and and to Adrian, and you've been listening to what Deirdre has been saying that the leg work being done off air to try to get access to whatever can be found out about them these men just need help to get into the treadmill let alone yeah. get through it can can you or any public representative actually help them to get the ball rolling we can look we can, we can try it can be difficult at times to circumvent the whole um, situation when people are homeless or they're falling in between the cracks and I know you've outlined uh, I suppose kind of the backstory for the lads, but what I think the important thing now is is their you know their immediate housing needs and welfare needs, and I know you mentioned headway and others are helping them, and I wonder have the lads been into you know had they been into the likes of penny dinners and that or are they on Katrina's you know system for you know um, Jesus PJ we knew about him even a while back you know we were 
through St. Vincent's around the early stages of COVID and we were delivering hampers to people in vulnerable situations and others, you know. Oh, they're getting hampers. You know? They're getting a hamper yeah. every week of food from the Vincent mm-hmm. de Paul. They're getting gas, uh, bottles of gas from the Vincent de Paul. I'm, I'm sure they'll probably get a few quid as well, try and put some diesel yeah. in the van yeah. to keep... The, but the, the simple fact of the matter is, Mick, that time is of the essence here. And, yeah. and you know, we're coming into to autumn and winter. And I, I, I trust me, I have been down there and the fact that they've survived four winters is a miracle. And and they won't survive another one. Adrian nearly drowned a few weeks ago when he fell into the river because, again, he got a blackout. Yeah, yeah. I just, yeah, as you said, they're there the last number of years. You've been out there. I, I'll check with, as well with um, the Homeless Outreach, the Accommodation Placement Service, as it's called, now attached to the City Council. I'll check them today, are the lads... Um, are the lads on their way there. It can be difficult, PJ. I was in her office this morning and um, a girl there and four kids and she'd been up to Belfast for a while and she's back now and, you know, she's trying to get her status sorted now as well. It can take time, you know. There's hopes to be, hopes to go through. Um, saying that, I think some of the staff that in the accommodation place or placement service working for the council, I'd ring them regularly they're good to deal with and they try and solve problems for people and yeah. um, doesn't always happen but, but this, this effectively is an emergency situation do you know like Morris was on yeah. for example with another idea here that the next phase of the Nakmahini redevelopment project is is getting underway some mm. houses have been boarded up on Harbour View Road in just the last week they will be knocked in the fullness of time but like could they be not let into one of those places no, short term did. They'll be knocked within. They'll be knocked within weeks. I'd say the ones in the Harview Road, um, Carby Grove, forward, but they'll be knocked very. You know, and they'll be knocked the next few weeks. And basically, you're talking of a shell of a, of, a, of a building, like you know, there'll be nothing in there. They'll be knocked in, within a few weeks. Um, so that wouldn't be an option for uh, for the lads. And and Mick, please don't think that I'm personalising this in what I'm about to say. But public representatives of all kinds are elected by the people to do stuff like sort out mm. Adrian and Patrick. That's what they're elected for. Mm. And the people who elect them don't care about how hard it is to get into the system. They don't care about paperwork. They don't care. What they care about at the moment is a father and son living in a slum, the likes of which I haven't seen since I went to India. And and the, and, and they're trying to... Uh, numerous problems trying to get them out. And I'll tell you this much, Mick... And again, and this is not personal. If I hear in the course of the winter to come that one of those men has been hurt or worse by bad weather, a storm, a flood, or something happening outside in that bus, there'll be hell to pay. Look, I understand where you're coming from, PJ. Absolutely do. I absolutely understand where you're coming from in terms of, in terms of that. Um, and you've been out there and you've talked to the lads. It, it does sound like an extremely difficult situation for them. Um, and hopefully something will be resolved. Hopefully they'll be resolved. As you say, if they got their, even their housing application they just want open, they, just they can find somewhere. Maybe I know you. Every so often, you 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 appeal for people out there, property owners um, who have something. Mm. Like even if they, if there was something, if there was somebody listening that would take a chance on the lads that had a property, um, like council might be a little something, even emergency hat. Yeah, that's kind you know, of what we're trying, we're trying to see if somebody can help them in, in some yeah, way. Can, and they can As do a, they can do that. You know, yeah. they can do that. They can do emergency hat yeah. once. 
um, an application is is kind of on in process. Well, maybe we need to we need to get them helped to get them get them off the ground and get that sorted. Make because and again, I wasn't I wasn't personalising with you or with anybody else. But if anything happens to any of these two men over the next couple of months, then by Christ, they'll be hell to pay uh, for me anyway. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. That's it. Thanks, dear. Thanks, Fergal. Have a nice weekend. We'll see you all on Monday just after nine. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at fifty to eighty percent less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.